Purple, get ready to roll indeed. This is the College and Kimball podcast. I am your host, Jeff Burkhart, your Kansas State Wildcats 2-0 on the young season following a 40-12 thrashing over former Big 12 foe Missouri. All three phases contributed in the victory over the Tigers at Bill Snyder Family Stadium this past Saturday, though it was the Kansas State defense that dictated things wire to wire in this ballgame. Credit to the mob for forcing four interceptions on the day. They set the offense up with several short fields, particularly in the third quarter, which was ultimately what allowed Kansas State to separate and run away from Missouri. The Cats send the Tigers back to Columbia with a four-touchdown L. Hope they enjoyed the billboard as they drove east on I-70 through Kansas City. So... K-State now gets set to turn its focus to its final non-conference foe, Tulane, out of the American Athletic Conference. And here to break down the green wave is Maddie Hudak. She is the sideline reporter for the Tulane Sports Network, a Learfield property. Maddie, just to kick things off here, I wanted to talk briefly about 2021. Willie Fritz has built up so much equity going into that season and had 10 starters coming back on offense. Tulane looked poised to make a run, potentially at the American Athletic Conference title. And the hurricane, which ultimately ends up displacing the team at the very beginning of the season, serves as an ominous sign, really, for the year that would unfold. As Tulane loses a home game, they were scheduled to have Oklahoma come down to New Orleans. That game has to be relocated to Norman. And Tulane goes pretty much punch for punch with Oklahoma and truly does run out of time. But then the wheels just kind of fall off for this team and it ultimately ends up finishing two and 10. I know it's hard to peg it on just one thing, but what were some of the big reasons why that team ended up face planning and finishing the year two and 10? I think it was kind of a house of cards uh, for lack of a better term. You know, the hurricane really didn't help things at the start of the year. And I know there was a certain point where they said, you know, we have to you can't really blame the hurricane anymore, but you know, when you're displaced for almost a month, I think in, you know, a renovated hotel that doesn't have a locker room where you're, you know, in a ballroom with a hairdryer, trying to dry your clothes and, and stuff off. And they didn't have their, you know, weight room and proper things that they're used to having. So then kind of going into that old Miss game against, uh, to, in my opinion, such a outsized opponent on a physical uh, perspective, you could really hear those hits during that game and it kind of hurt to listen to them. Um, I, I just think that, you know, there the trenches, especially for the offense were kind of where I think the season started and ended, you know, Michael Pratt had so little time back there. I, I you know, watched some games back and it was like, you know, 0.5 seconds on some dropbacks and it's just impossible to get a rhythm really going. And I feel like once they just kind of went down hill, it was kind of hard to stop that type of momentum. So, you know, to their credit, they did really kind of clean house uh, from a coaching staff perspective. And it's kind of been shocking almost how much of a turnaround it's already felt like this season in comparison. You hit it right on the head. They've already matched their win total, obviously with a couple of wins here to get things rolling and, and nice confidence builders. I'm assuming as well for a group that struggled too in close games last season at five games that they lost by one score. Uh, so in, in that respect, 
just from your vantage point on the sideline, what, what's been the biggest difference looking from 21 here into 22 in the early odds? Uh, I think all three phases have improved quite a bit, uh, barring, you know, losing the puncher Ryan Wright, who's now on the Minnesota Vikings. I think that unit is, is really well coached this year on defense. What stuck out is improved tackling from last season. It was kind of, you know, the defense really turned it around in the second half of the year and kept them in a lot of those games, uh, as honestly did Ryan Wright with some of his punts. But there were so many plays where they should have had them and they did have them. They read the play correctly. They just miffed on the tackle. And that's really frustrating to keep watching over and over. But it did take them about half the season to really mesh as a defense and not, you know, kind of get confused and lost in coverage. Now, granted, they've played primarily run first teams uh, in their first two opening games, but even just kind of the transitions we have, you know, Jaden Kennedy, who was playing nickel last year is now at cornerback and uh, Macon Clark, who I believe also played safety last year is now at that nickel role. And that's easier said than done to switch positions like that, but they've really done it super seamlessly. And then on the offense, it just, all of the parts seem to be working in concert in a way that you really never saw it happening last year. The offensive line, the protection is just much better this year. There's been almost an astonishing amount of time at moments for Pratt. I think Pratt's looked sharper. He's really worked on, you know, certain throws in camp and it showed in these games so far. And the receivers, frankly, have stepped up as well. There were a lot of drop balls last year. So just kind of a lot of, you know, sloppy mistakes last season that if you were able to clean up, you probably looked at a different end record, but all of those things thus far are, are really cleaned up. And I, I think a lot of that goes towards the new coaching staff as well. You must be reading my questions that I have prepped here because that was honestly leads in perfectly to uh, what I wanted to ask about to start off with uh, as far as the offense is con uh, concerned. Jim Svoboda comes in as the new OC this season, uh, arrives in New Orleans by way of Central Missouri. Uh, shout out to the MIAA. Uh, I, I just got to say on the surface kind of seemed like an interesting marriage because Willie Fritz is known for being a very innovative mind offensively and one that uses predominantly run concepts. You'll hear, you know, the terms like inverted wishbone and they do a lot of unique things. And, and for K-State fans, Willie Fritz was the coach at Blinn Junior College when Michael Bishop was there. Uh, that's dating myself quite a bit, but that goes back into the uh, mid nineties. Uh, but again, this is a Tulane team that prior to last season had five consecutive years of rushing for over five, uh, excuse me, over 200 yards per game. They bring in this guy who's known much more so as a, a passing guru. The, the Mules averaged over 330 yards passing last season. That was sixth in D2. What's that marriage been like here in the early stages? So you, uh, there has been, you know, quite a bit of running these first two games. It's just so hard to really, you know, say how much of that is really going to be the game plan for the season, sure. considering kind of, you know, the, the pedigree of opponents so far and kind of honestly probably keeping cards to their chest before meeting up with Kansas State. Uh, but to me, I, I think you make a good point in that the run game has been a strong component and that is really part of Willie Fritz's, you know, identity as a coach. But in that same note, it's kind of, if it isn't broke, don't fix it in the run game perspective, but the passive game last year just didn't ever find its rhythm. You know, there were games where they managed to pull it together, but they were so out of sync, really relied on really long third down conversions so many times. And it just felt like there was no cohesion with the passing game last year. And what I've noticed too, and wouldn't be surprised uh, to see kind of, you know, Michael Pratt use his legs more as the season goes on. But 
a lot of what they worked on in camp is kind of, you know, those read option plays actually kind of playing off of Michael Pratt's mobility. Cause that was something I, I felt really wasn't there last year. It was more him running for his life or needing to convert on fourth down and there not being anyone open rather than designing plays that kind of played off of that with a mobile quarterback back there. And it was kind of odd to see, but again, when the blocking isn't there, it's really hard to do that kind of stuff. But I feel like he's really just made them all again, like work as one unit and not a bunch of individual parts. It's really some of that and just easy completions, not trying to do anything overly difficult. You know, Michael Pratt has said, I don't want people to take this the wrong way and that our offense is simple, but it's really just those fundamental things like getting those quick intermediate passes out to move down the field and relying on, you know, a strong running game headlined by Tajay Spears, who, you know, hopefully has a big game this weekend. Uh, but he also brought in one of his former quarterbacks when he coached at Central Missouri, uh, John McMenamin, and he's our wide receiver coach. And that's been a really high pedigree bring from him and, and on Spoboda's end too. You know, him being a former quarterback, he was an offensive coordinator for several years and then was most recently a head coach. So to have that as your position coach wide receiver, you can really already see what kind of difference that's made. So in that way, I just see the passing game improving so much just because of really what they bring to the table as coaching and then just relying on the skills of, of guys like Tajay Spears to keep their running game strong. You talked a lot about Pratt and his mobility, how that's been kind of the added element that he brings to the table. And you've seen him, he started, he got thrust into the fire as a true freshman back in 2020. What's his development been like watching him from the sidelines? And, and I guess how good of a command do you feel that he has just over the game as a whole? I think his leadership is very apparent and it was apparent last year, despite everything really being off at times, you know, I think everything would kind of have gone worse. And, and we all kind of point to that. I think it was, you know, week 11 or so when where it's like, where, where did that come from kind of thing and to have that performance really when there's no reason to at all, I think said a lot about all of them, but I feel like players really just look to him for guidance. He, knows what every single player on the offense is supposed to be at at all times. He's a really smart player. And you can tell that this offense really wants to play, you know, for him this year in a way that you didn't really see that fight necessarily last year at, at times. And just when everything's out of sync, uh, he was also really injured last year. And that's just kind of hard to get around. But I feel like he has really taken a huge leap already. Uh, again, I could see it in training camp. He's added a lot of touch to the ball. You know, he was a former baseball player. He didn't actually play football until ninth grade, he was homeschooled up until then. And so to only have played at this point, you know, five to seven years of football, it's really surprising how far he's come, but you can also see how those kind of baseball mechanics can lead to a couple of fastballs in the short game. Uh, but he, he really has worked on that this year and just spreading the ball out. You know, he threw the, the 12 wide receivers caught a pass for Tulane. And I, I, again, you know, Alcorn state really didn't have much going at, at any point, but they were players getting involved that you just never even really heard of last year and, and no one really looking confused, no issues with substitutions and personnel and things like that. And I just feel like he's really kept his head on straight and the team has kind of looked to that and just really have a different mentality heading into this year. And I'm excited to really see him grow as a passer. Cause like we said, you already kind of know what he can do with his legs, but it's kind of where I expect him to make a jump this season. And one final note on the offense, you, you talked about Spears running back and, and could, could you characterize his game and maybe some of the other guys K-State fans should keep an eye out for in the backfield? Because again, this is a Tulane offense that likes to incorporate a lot of different pieces. 
Yeah. So he, uh, last year against Memphis, it was our final game. He rushed for 264 yards and that's the, you know, in, in Tulane history, it's the fourth highest single game rushing, you know, and then the top three are all Matt Forte. So it's not bad company to be in, but I, it's just, I got that feeling like it's the closest thing really to Alvin Kamara that I can describe seeing on the field, just his ability to be so elusive and, you think the play is over on the right side of the field and suddenly he's 40 yards downfield on the left side. And you just don't really see how he got there and to come back from an ACL tear just the year before and have such a dominant performance. Uh, it was, you know, he really was unstoppable in that game in a way that I think is a, a really high caliber for, you know, this Tulane team. Um, I think they haven't used him that much these first two weeks because why, to be honest, it, it just wasn't really necessary when you're scoring Understood. 42 and 52 points. Uh, to kind of get some mileage on him that's perhaps not necessary. Uh, but uh, yeah, Shoddy Clayton, who's a transfer from Colorado, he has been a really solid pickup. He had some key blocks in that game uh, when the protection was a little shaky on Saturday. And then Iverson Celestine is another guy who's kind of been, you know, lower on the depth chart, but I believe Fritz really likes him. He just works really hard. He picks up blocks and always is kind of fighting for that extra one to two inches on every single play. Um, so I expect kind of that, you know, group of guys to be used relatively often in the game, but I kind of, ex you know, at the same time, expect a lot of read option stuff as well. Good time to pivot away from offense and go over to the defensive side now. And another relatively new coordinator, Chris Hampton, now going into his second year coordinating the two-lane defense, a unit that struggled last season. And again, we kind of talked about it too when you have when you have to face Lincoln Riley and Jeff Levy who was coordinating that Ole Miss Ole Miss offense I should say you're not getting any favors done for you on that front um, but this was a two-lane team that finished 114th nationally in scoring but they've they've clearly taken a pretty significant step forward I saw I believe in the box court that they held UMass to just 17 passing yards I know UMass is arguably one of the worst teams in FBS, but still that's a very impressive total in today's day and age. And I guess I know still very early in the, in the season, but what's, what's he liked out of this group here through the first couple of weeks? Oh uh, yeah. Just to mention too, Tulane's actually leading the nation in pass efficiency defense. There you go. Kind of funny, but <laughs> you know, they've only really been able to complete about seven passes or so on them so far. Um, and you bring up that old Miss game, and I believe you're missed not to mention that you know Dorian Williams got ejected in the first few minutes for targeting, and then Nick Anderson broke his leg in the middle of the first half. So it's really hard to kind of come back from losing that entire unit uh, in one fell swoop. But yeah, just again, their turnaround last season from all, just looking so confused at times the first half to really sharpening their coverage, uh, their run defense got stronger by the end of last year. Uh, he brought in... Lummy Young, who's a safety from Duke. And so Chris Hampton was at Duke and that's kind of why Lummy Young ended up coming down. He's been a really, really good pickup at free safety. He just has that ability to backpedal so smoothly. He's already working really well with their strong safety, Larry Brooks. And they're just really hard hitting safeties back there, which I'm a former defender. It's something I really just enjoy watching when, you know, there are so many run stops by the secondary. Uh, Macon Clark, and Jaden Kennedy, two guys I brought up earlier, I think they're just stars, honestly. Jaden Kennedy is a playmaker. Macon Clark has been a playmaker as well. And for, you know, really just moving into that nickel role this season, it's not the same skill set at safety at all, really. And he's covered tight ends well. He stopped several run plays. He's been blitzing really well and recorded the first interception in the UMass game. So, and, and then at quarterback, you have Lance Robinson as well. And 
uh, Jarius Monroe, who was a transfer and he offers just so much size back there, but their ability to all swap and, and just be so versatile, it, it really has kind of helped. You know, they lost to Donis Freelu on the defensive line at nose tackle. And that would really be the only concern is he had about 30 pounds on the nearest backup, but they've been adjusting really well with the linebackers. But again, it's just really comforting to see not just improved coverage by them, but all, all of the secondary players really wanting to stop the run. And one thing that really jumped off the page at me in looking at the returners coming back from Tulane this, uh, this season, I should say, a lot of experience at that linebacker room. And another guy I, I feel like I, I should absolutely mention here is Darius Hodges, uh, who plays the joker position in, in this defense. He led the team in tackles for loss and sacks last season. How would you describe his game and where, where does he make the biggest impact? I'm trying to think because they've been rotating so much at those kind of edge roles in, in these early games, I think kind of just to see who, who favors who where, but his backfield stops it, those tackles for loss last year, really, I, that was the difference maker half the time. And, and I like, and even despite talking about losses, but first talking about, you know, how many missed tackles there were last season, he just doesn't have that. And he also in that same regard, ends up drawing a lot of double teams on the edge. And so again, talking about kind of making adjustments for the loss of Freelu in there, having such a good player at Joker, I, I think has kind of freed up that middle of, of the field. You could see them really uh, plugging the gaps uh, against the run really well on Saturday. Um, I mean, like, again, there was so much rotation of those two positions, these last couple games that it's hard to say, but I, it's definitely a position to watch this up coming weekend, you know, I think Tulane fans, as much as Kansas city fans are kind of looking forward to this real first taste of, of what this team looks like this season, but it would be very optimal if he was able to uh, continue his performance from last season. Absolutely. Now I, I wanted to, uh, as we look ahead to this game, uh, pretty pivotal for both teams, K-State looking, uh, both squads, obviously looking to remain healthy, going into conference play, but Tulane it, going into an AAC that looks to be at least early stages here, pretty open UCF looks like they maybe have taken a step back nobody really knows early stages what SMU was going to bring to the table and and Houston losing to Texas Tech I, I mean the AAC looks pretty open and, and Tulane has a fair amount of experience on both sides they could absolutely with an upset win announce their candidacy as more than just a dark horse candidate in this conference now I I I hate to keep going back to last season, but uh, that game against Oklahoma just really stood out in my mind. I very vividly remember them making that co comeback effort where they really did just run out of time. But I feel like ha has that been brought up just kind of anecdotally here in the first couple of days leading up to this game? And what do you feel like the team took from that loss last season that will likely see applied here in the prep for K-State? Yeah, I know it's, it's absolutely been brought up because it kind of feels the same way that it did kind of leading up to that game last year. And I should have mentioned that game as well when you're asking about Michael Pratt's leadership. I mean, that was all heart from Pratt that entire game. Um, if you ask the players from last season, they almost kind of say it was the worst thing to happen because it gave them almost a false sense of confidence. And that was really just hit hard by that Ole Miss game. Like I just felt like the soul kind of like left the team at that point. But again, you know, that... It was so emotional, really, after getting evacuated for the hurricane, losing that home game, uh, losing home field advantage in what, you know, I don't think anyone's expecting to be a close game. And then, you know, Spencer Radler opens the game with an interception by Jaden Kennedy. And 
yeah, I actually watched that game on YouTube uh, the other night just because it had been so long and I actually missed it because I was in Florida in a hotel room and still very bitter about that. But I think that's kind of the idea of trying to channel that from last year, but not getting too ahead of themselves because it is kind of that idea of, okay, even if we do kind of come close and not end up winning, there's still a long season ahead of us, but it, it feels less of a pipe dream, I would say this year. You know, I think if they game plan really well and they execute at exactly what they want to execute at, they certainly have a chance. And like you mentioned before, you know, every, I'm very much any given Sunday. We've seen so many bizarre losses and upsets these last two weeks already. You know, everyone kind of took these last two weeks for Tulane for granted, but there were teams losing to FCS teams that perhaps weren't expected to. So I'm always of that kind of mindset, but I think even if they do end up losing this year, it won't have as much of an effect because I just think there's such a greater sense of confidence and they've been able to really see it come out uh, so far that it's really going to be a, a good litmus test, I think, for how much this team can end up competing. But I would agree that the conference is pretty open. And again, most opponents, Tulane, they, they lost, but they kept it a game until the fourth quarter, almost every game the second half of the last season. Definitely going to be interesting to see how this one plays out in Manhattan this coming Saturday. And uh, I saw that you, uh, in, in a video on, on your Twitter page, you, you've been taking some some film study course. What's that been like just in terms of how you see the game now? I, I assume it's like it would be for a player where it seems like it's starting to slow down. You're picking up on more subtlety uh, subtleties of the game. But what's it been like watching it now, having seen that part of it? Yeah, that's a great question. I've actually pointed that quite a bit. I would agree. I, it really has made the game slow down just so much more. Being able to really see, you know, coverage right off the bat, being able to identify those things, you know, understanding how safeties play in coverage versus the cornerbacks, how they use their hands at the line of scrimmage, understanding, you know, more complex routes and, and things like that. And it allows you to see the little things like, you know, who, who missed the block there, who made a key block on that play rather than trying to kind of follow the ball. I always recommend this book, Take Your Eye Off the Ball by Pat Kieran. And, you know, it, it's a great book, but it, it makes a great point too that you honestly taking your eye off the ball really helps you see the game in a lot better way. But I definitely have felt like this season, everything's a lot clearer and it, it's a, a good, you know, the sideline kind of offers you an unparalleled, almost all 22 view of the game in real time, unless you're sitting in a press box. But you know, being able to position myself either behind the offense or behind the defense, depending on kind of what I want to look at, just little nuances that I didn't really pick up on last season. So, I mean, if anyone's looking to broaden their knowledge of the game, I honestly couldn't recommend uh, a course more. Just out of curiosity, what's your favorite view? I only ask that because as somebody, as a spectator, I've sat in the end zone at Bill Snyder Family Stadium, fairly low, so perception wise it's kind of tough to see you like you couldn't really gauge was that a two-yard gain or was that a 12-yard gain you know but okay. what where do you like to 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 position yourself most often I know you said it's kind of obviously dependent on which side of the ball that you're tracking but what do you feel always gives you the better vantage point like on the sideline or watching games sideline um I, it depends. I, I, there's, I always have this running joke. I end up doing like four or five miles during games. Like I just try to kind of be as close to the play as possible. Uh, if Tulane is driving down the field, I usually start behind the offense until they kind of, you know, reach closer to midfield, just so I can see kind of how they're, they're moving off the line. But then I kind of run, I'm also five foot three. So that's kind of, you know, trying to see between the sea of players is just suboptimal at all times. So I find it easier to just go around them entirely. 
Uh, but definitely when I'm watching the defense, I always want to be behind them. You know, not that I'm not interested in what's going on in the other team's offense, but that's kind of that end zone view that you get on, on film. And yeah, it just really does help uh, compared to kind of going up at halftime and seeing it from the press box, really being able to like position yourself almost in the driver's seat of each play. What's been your favorite venue that you've been to thus far? Hmm. I really liked SMU for some reason. Uh, I just really liked the energy. It was a little less hostile than Ole Miss. Their fans were a lot to say the least. Uh, and they kept shooting off a cannon every time they scored and they scored like 50 points during that game. So it was a very, uh, just anxiety levels were through the roof, but yeah, I, I just really liked their stadium. They had a really good turnout. It was a good game. Tanner Mordecai is fun to watch as well on the other side. So that's kind of the one that jumps off the top of my head as, you know, it was kind of a frustrating game as a lot of them tended to go last season, but not on the overwhelming side. Uh, only downside would be when Michael Pratt got very badly concussed. Actually, I take that back. The Cincinnati game was definitely my favorite game because that was very unexpected. And the Wildcat offense led by Kai Horton, who had, you know, I, I think he hurt his finger on like the second play of that game. You know, they were beating Cincinnati by halftime and that was not something that anyone expected whatsoever. It's not my favorite venue, but that was my favorite game. Love to hear it. Love to hear it. Well, I certainly hope that you enjoy yourself at Bill Snyder Family Stadium this coming Saturday. Going to be toasty, I would say. Prep yourself for that, but I'm sure, you know, being in New Orleans, that you have no idea how to deal with heat and humidity, so I'm sure you'll be just fine on that front. Um, Before I uh, cut you loose, though, Maddie, uh, where can our listeners find you on Twitter, and uh, where where can they check out your work? Uh, yeah, it's Twitter's kind of a hub. Uh, so my Twitter is Maddie Hudak underscore nine four. Uh, and then, you know, I also cover the Saints on USA Today's Saints Wire, but I usually link everything there. Big thanks again to Maddie for giving us the inside scoop on Tulane. You will find her strolling the sidelines at Bill Snyder Family Stadium this coming Saturday as the Cats get set to entertain the Green Wave in what will be K-State's final non-conference matchup of 2022. That is going to do it for this edition of Up Next. Justin Etter and I will be dropping another episode into your feed later on this week. We'll be breaking down every angle of the Wildcats' final non-conference game as Chris Kleiman's group aims to go 3-0 through the non-conference portion of their slate. Thanks again for listening. Subscribe to our podcast on whatever your preferred app is and follow us on Twitter at college underscore Kimball if you haven't done so already. With all that being said, we'll go ahead and wrap it up the way I always do. Catsman, if you know, you know. It's